Hello and welcome to Nerd Subculture. I'm your host Jared. And I'm Edwina. And today we're doing a Once More We're Feeling series on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Today we're doing Season 4, Episode 22, the grand finale, Restless. 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 This episode first aired May 23rd, 2000. Written and directed by Joss Whedon. Eddie. Ah, this is a full spoiler podcast. I'm a huge fan, but Jared has never watched the series all the way through, and I'm trying to convince him it's worth his time. It's, yes. (laughs) I struggled with this episode, I've got to be honest with you. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Do you want to quickly do the blurb? All right, so we're going to do something a little different now. We're just going to do a very, very quick blurb because we've got a lot to say about this episode, so we figured we'd just cut this one short. Buffy, Xander, Giles, and Willow decide to stay up late while watching movies after their victory against Adam, only for all four of them to immediately fall asleep. One by one, each of their dreams take a dark and twisted turn as a sinister force stalks each of them through the dream world and inside their own heads. Yes. Uh, so this is probably one of my favourite episodes. Really? <laughs> it's, yes. i got to be honest with you, Eddie. I know you didn't I kind of like fell it. asleep on this. No, <laughs> this was you, a snooze fest you, for me. You, at the end of the episode, you, you did that thing that you sometimes do when you've watched something that you haven't quite understood. And you go, you actually... Got, you sat up and you went, what the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I started looking at my phone a little bit <laughs> as well. I, I don't know. I, Generally speaking, you're not you're not a big fan of David, anything by David Lynch. Like anything kind of... I don't of- mind David Lynch. Um but people just seem to rave a little bit too much about his work and think it's really good. And I, I just think it's a little contrived, to be honest. <laughs> and this episode is very, very Lynchian. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seemed almost too much. And I was. Um, but yeah, you know, but it's not like Buffy hasn't. Like they've kind of already gone over this before, but not to this extent. Like there was the episode Nightmares. Uh, and then like Buffy is constantly having those prolific dreams. Yeah, I know. And uh, I've seen other series do this before. Um, Sopranos used to do something similar, have these weird sort of dream sequences. And there was a whole episode that was just one big dream sequence. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, there was. Yeah, He he often had these weird dreams of symbolism and a talking fish. There's an episode with a talking fish that, that represented his friend Pussy, that they used to call Pussy. And then... There was a scene where, you remember that, that novelty talking fish thing that people had for a while? Oh, yeah, The yeah. singing fish? The one on the wall, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then someone showed that to him and he kind of had a flash to his to, to pussy who he actually killed. Ah, uh, okay. So there was like that sort of circle that went around. So, yeah, I've seen other shows do this before, but I don't know. I just found this But a not a whole episode. Well, well, other they, than... well yeah, that, that I did one whole episode in that. But oh, yeah. no, I think Bojack Horseman did it as well. Yeah, they did some sort of avant-garde sort of episode it's just way out there and yeah but that was the second last episode i think of bojack yeah, horseman yeah. did that with his mother's death and and no it was the one where he died and it was sort of done like this weird dinner scene yeah 
and you wanted to go through the wall, but the city can't go there, and, and yeah, stuff so you like went, that. It, yeah, so it was kind of a dream, but he he kind of OD'd. Yeah, and you you didn't really know what had happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I I actually love this episode. It is what I would call a surrealist work of art. Okay. Yeah. Um, and every scene, every shot is full of symbolism and metaphor and there is mm, yeah. philosophy and mm. foreshadowing throughout this whole episode. Um, and because it is a work of art, it is highly interpretive. <laughs> mm-hmm. So everyone is going to have a different interpretation of this episode and a different reading. So... Yeah, I, I can see that, but yeah, I just found it boring. <laughs> I just couldn't be bothered peeling back the layers of what was going on in this episode. I'm like, oh, there's this, there's that. Oh, I guess that means that. Yeah, great. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Um, and, you know, because Primeval sort of wrapped up the arc, like I think Restless kind of works as a coda. Um, and, you know, instead of... Instead of, you know, a climactic final scene, which you had in the last, what do you call it? The promultuous episode. Yeah. Um, this one's just entirely an exploration of character done with the four different dream sequences. So, yeah. Um, and yeah, dealing with past, present and future. So, uh, d- just going back, I just felt like, this should have been maybe the first episode of the next season or something like that. Mm. I felt with that climactic ending that should have just ended there and maybe because each season have done that last that first yeah. episode reflecting. Well, on as the, I said, he'd kind of like they kind. I guess of you want to change cha- it. Up they a kind bit, of yeah. wanted to change it up, so I think this was him flexing his. Uh, like again, it was another one of those writing explorations that Joss likes to do as an exercise in writing, like what he did with Hush. Yeah. Um, and this was just to, yeah, kind of change things up a bit. Mm. Um, change it, he did. Not keep doing the same thing over and over again. <laughs> um, we didn't mean that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, some, like, as I said, this is normally in every, like, it'll be in most fans' top ten episodes and from now on like I'll, I'll be bringing up like stuff in the next season that is actually foreshadowed in this episode. Oh, look forward to that. <laughs> Going to be constantly reminded of that by the sounds of it. Yeah. So. Stop it. Um, but yeah, there's a, like there's a lot of stuff in this episode. <laughs> yeah. That it's ongoing. Like it's not resolved. Yeah. Um, and it's always that inner conflict. But I think that makes for interesting characters. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So. I'm yeah. cool with that. <laughs> now, I decided not to do the um, synopsis for this episode. Yes. When I went to do the notes for this episode, I had a lot of trouble doing it <laughs> because it is a character study. So there weren't really plot points to talk about. Though there wasn't really a plot really was there. there was a very there was a plot but it was a very it's a very flimsy plot. Hmm. Um uh, yeah, so there are no real plot points. 
um, and it is strictly the characters dealing with like their internal fears and anxieties and the choices that we make. So I thought I would actually go through each of the dreams. Wow. Okay. Yes. This is going to be a long episode. <laughs> yeah. I'll try to do it as quickly as possible. And and the truth is like there are essays written on this episode. There is there is there was so much information when I was researching for this, and everyone has a different interpretation. Um, yeah, there is. Look, my interpretation is really just going to scratch the surface. All right. Of this. So that's, that's fair enough. I mean, we don't have all day. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like, like, and then there were things that people couldn't even agree on. So, and then I did notice there is like, um, remembering back to there's a actually a DVD commentary from Joss as well for this episode. Do you have? I suppose you'd have that, wouldn't you? Yeah, I do. Have you live, ever listened to it? Yeah, yeah. You have? Oh, yeah. Okay. I certainly have. I've listened to all the commentaries. I've never listened to a commentary on a DVD. Really? <laughs> the only one I ever listened to was the Matrix one, and I probably got about ten minutes through it before I thought. Before I thought, which is kind of boring. <laughs> I'd rather just watch the movie. Yeah. Welcome to the real world. Um. But before I start going through, um, each of the dreams, and as I said, like last week, I said. Um, there is a reason why they have this episode and I think it is just so that they can't call on magical super Buffy every time there's an unstoppable big bad. Like they'll have to come up with a new plan each time. Yeah, so there's, there's a trade-off Which, or, or consequences maybe I'm trying to think Yeah, of. so I think Buffy has established that all of these big powerful spells have – consequences like there's kind of an opposing force yeah so that has kind of been established so to speak um so i'll read out why they're being attacked by the first slayer and it's because of the spell that they did um and it just explains it a bit better because i don't think you really were paying much attention to the spell when when they were doing the spell mother of god i thought Okay, so each dream acts as a character study, exploring the fears and future of the dreamer. Willow, Xander and Giles are stalked by a shadowy figure, then killed within their dreams. The way and order in which each is killed is directly related to the role that they had assumed when melding with Buffy in the previous episode. That role is indicated by the tarot-like cards used to symbolise the character's essence. Willow's card had been spiritus, representing her magical power. She is killed by having her spirit sucked out of her. Xander's card has been animus, representing his heart. He is killed by having his heart ripped out. Giles had been represented by the card Sophus, a symbol of his intellect and role as teacher. He is killed by being scalped. Buffy's card, Manus, was representative of her physical strength. In her dream, the stalker is revealed to be the primitive first layer. Um, And the two fight and Buffy realises the difference between them is that the first layer is alone and isolated while Buffy is unique among slayers because she has friends. (laughs) Are you saying that wasn't the slayer? 
this what was attacking him wasn't the actual first slayer. Yeah, yeah, it was the first slayer. Uh, it was, but I thought it was a manifest. Yeah, well, it was a, the first slayer manifested from well because they they joined the slayer. Like you find out a bit more about the slayer power further along in the series. It was the fact that they joined their essence and then called on the power of all the slayers. Yeah. For so, it, it, but I'm, I'm saying it wasn't. Because each character was attacked in a certain way, um, I, what I thought we were saying is that the the Slayer, uh, the first Slayer attacking her, wasn't really the first Slayer, but something that manifests as a rep, as her representation to attack her. Is that what? You- um, no, no, no. The the first Slayer does exist. Yeah, but it's, yes. it's not actually her doing it though. Yes, yes, it is. It is her yeah. spirit. Or her something. spirit. Yeah, who is angry that. They called on her. Okay. All right. Yeah. So she's pissed that she got dragged up from her. Yeah. They've released. Ut- yeah. They've, they've, I was yeah, so yeah. comfy so, here. So they've released her spirit. So she was so, out. Yeah. And they pulled her back in. Yes. <laughs> Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Uh, but yeah, main reason is so that they can't constantly, like it's a deterrent from them doing this spell again. And as you saw, the spell was limited, had a very limited time frame. So it probably wouldn't be useful in every situation. Yeah, I Mm. figure that. All right. So I'll start with Willow's Dream because she is the first card. (laughs) Yeah. So she is the first one that we enter her dreams. Okay. The theme of Willow's Dream is identity and sexuality. Uh, Willow's dream starts with her having an intimate conversation with her girlfriend Tara while painting a Sappho poem on her back. Do you know who Sappho is? No. Uh, Something to do with lesbians? It does, actually. Yeah. Sappho was a Greek female poet that lived on the island of Lesbos around 6 BC. Most of her poems are about women-loving women which is how we get the current term sapphic and lesbian. Sapphic. You've never heard the term sapphic? No. Like sapphic literature? No. No. Oh, okay. What is it? It's just it just means that it's lesbian. A lesbian literature. <laughs> yes. Okay, right. Uh Tara is saying you don't know everything about me. Uh you then get a vi- like it's pretty much you get this vis- visual representation about not knowing Tara's backstory because there's writing on her back in an unknown language. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Okay. Yes, we don't know. We don't know her backstory. <laughs> uh, I have to laugh at that. That's hilarious. <laughs> Uh, she talks about her unwillingness to leave Tara, Tara's dorm room, a place of comfort and security. Uh, but then she finds herself in the hallway of the college. But the college hallway kind of looks like the high school hallway. Yeah, like there's, did, all, didn't there's it? all like lockers in it. Yeah. And Xander and Oz are there. Yeah, so I thought that was meant to be high school. Yeah, it was college. Uh, but it had lockers in the hallway. But they don't have lockers in the hallway at the college. No. So it wasn't no. the high school then? No, it just it was the hallway of the college that had lockers in it. Oh, so it was actually the, the college, college hallway. Hallway. Yeah. But they put lockers in it. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, and Xander and Oz are there, her two yeah. former lovers. Oh, yeah. Um, and she barely acknowledges them, really, <laughs> um, and kind of just moves on. So she's pretty much past her phase of men, so to speak. Um, and then Xander makes a bit of a meta joke about two girls doing a spell together. Willow then struggles to find her place in a bizarre school theatre production, apparently, of Death of a Salesman. Do you know much about a Death of a Salesman? Um, there's no gorillas in it. <laughs> gorillas, what? <laughs> no, what did I say? There was, there was no... There's no cowboy. There's no cowboys in it, yes. Yeah. yeah. But have you, do you know, like, I'm pretty sure Death of a Salesman is like a play that has like only three people. I, I, I know of it, but I have no idea what it's about. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I don't know much about I don't, it. I know nothing about it. But yeah. it's all I know is it's like an incredibly depressing play and apparently he ki- like he the kills set. himself? Or? Yeah, he kills himself at the end. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I've, I've just heard it mentioned so many times in pop culture and stuff like that, but I've just never, I've never seen anything about it or know the characters or what the story is about. Yeah. Um. While her friends and classmates are fully costumed, costumed, prepared and ready to go on stage. Okay, the costumes in this scene feel like projections of how Willow sees her friends. Okay, yeah. So you have Buffy dressed as a 1920s flapper. It looks like she's stepped off the set of Chicago playing Velma. Yeah. Um, who Willow doesn't particularly see Buffy as particularly smart <laughs> mm-hmm. and Velma is one of those is a very vapid character is it the Catherine Cedar Jones yes. character yeah yeah, yeah. you knew straight away before I even <laughs> yeah. the character's called Velma huh yeah is that also linking back to Scooby-Doo probably not is that symbolism as well <laughs> no uh Riley is cowboy guy <laughs> a generic white hat character who I also, him just being like, I, I showed up on time, so I got to be cowboy guy. <laughs> Is it does sort of feel like he just kind of showed up at the right time in Buffy's life and showed some interest in her, and that's why he's there. Hmm. Um, Perfect timing, yeah. Yeah, uh, Giles is the charismatic director of the play, um, but. Doesn't really listen when I think Harmony's saying props and Harmony says props and he's like, no. And then uh, Riley says props and he's like, yes. Oh, all right, yeah. <laughs> sort of that, sort of a bit of symbolism about misogyny and mm, yeah, <laughs> the patriarchy again. <sighs> I knew you were going to do that in the moment I mentioned that. Um, uh, Harmony. Cause, sorry, because Giles is completely far from that. That's a little unfair. Anyway, go on. Yes. Uh, Harmony is a nuisance rather than a threat. Because yeah. <laughs> she's just snipping around Giles's head. Yeah, and he's like, please stop that. And he's like, stop that. <laughs> it's very annoying. <laughs> the audience wants to find you, strip you naked and eat you alive. So hide. Stop that. Um, okay. Willow's confusion in this scene represents her lack of self-confidence, her fear that she'll not fit in. 
She wears ordinary clothes, but the others repeatedly comment on the excellence of her costume. Willow meets the cheese man and then enters the red velvet curtains. Which I always saw as like something directly from Twin Peaks. Yeah. Like I, I had a very Twin Peaks vibe from that scene. Yeah. Um, was but, there someone speaking backwards as well? No one was speaking backwards no? in okay. that scene. <laughs> um, oh, that but, was me doing that. Sorry. But I do remember this from the uh, Joss Whedon commentary. It's actually meant to represent Tara's vagina. I was going to say curtains. <laughs> Red curtains. I wonder what that means. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, she she well she finds Tara in there again. Tara is warning her about showing everyone the real her. She then finds herself in the high school classroom. Um. Just a little side note here. Uh, they did actually want to get um, Cordelia. Like they tried to get pretty much the entire original cast back. They did try to get Charisma Carpenter and David Boreanaz back for this episode. Uh, That'd be cool. Yeah. So I think a lot of the parts that Tara is doing, especially the ones with Buffy, they wanted to get Boreanaz. What and what happened there? Uh, there was just scheduling. Conflicts. He's working on the, the same angel. But he's working for the same guy. Surely they could have made some sort of Yeah, you would compromise. think that. No. no. Only get him in for like a couple of hours work. Yeah, they're separate shows though. Like it's Yeah, but it's, it's like half a day, come in and do a couple of scenes and that's it. Yeah, maybe they had to pay them too much. No, no like no. apparently that maybe labor laws. I don't know. It seems odd, to be honest, that why they didn't turn up, so I guess we'll never know why. But anyway, you can tell Anya gets the lines that I think Cordelia probably would have had in this coming up scene. Oh, yeah, because she's in the classroom, isn't she? Mm. She's been quite snarky. Yeah, a little more bitchy than – a little too bitchy for Anya. Well, she's not really snarky though, Anya. She's just kind of blunt. Yeah, Anya's blunt. Cordelia was snarky. Like the the way that she was talking sounded like something – that yeah. was written for Cordelia exactly. to say. And yeah. you can tell that that was meant for Cordelia. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And can I just say something about the way that they talk on this episode? It reminds me of Whose Line Is It Anyway? You ever see that show? That, yeah, that, yep. The uh, improv. improv show. And they have one of the one of the challenges. I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically every question has to be answered with a question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you doing here? Who brought those cows in there? Was it you? Yeah, so yeah, everything. It's, it's uh, this very weird language that they use. Yeah, and it, re- it very much reminds me of the dialogue in this to be so bizarre and completely off what other, uh, someone else is talking about or what is hap- even happening. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right on. Kind of like, uh, I came. Who got here first? I brought the cowboy suit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that's it. Well, it just makes no sense what they're saying. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's all very cryptic. Hmm. Uh, Buffy, so they're in the classroom. Buffy tells her to take off her costume. Willow protests. So Buffy proceeds to rip her cool witch gay college identity to reveal the old, awkward, nerdy Willow from season one um, and who she fears she really is. Uh, Willow stands anxiously at the front of the class trying to read her paper on 
The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. You can read into that whatever you want. Uh, while her cl- classmates express their boredom with listening to her, Oz is flirtatiously whispering into Tara's ear. Uh, Willow, you know, this is kind of Willow believing that she is not truly worthy of her love. Um, Anya talks about it being a Greek tragedy. Um, this is perhaps foreshadowing for Willow's future as she will get more of an attachment to magic as a thing that makes her special and leads her down a very tragic, dark path. Mm. Uh, she is then attacked by the first Slayer and her spirit is sucked out of her body. Wow. <laughs> That's the first dream. That's just the first dream. Right. Now you can see why I didn't do the okay. synopsis. Yeah. So Because pretty much I'm doing the synopsis. This just is, yeah, this is the synopsis. Uh, summary. <laughs> so, yeah. off to dream number two. So, we enter Xander's dream. Um, the Which main... is a lot cleaner than I thought. Yes, I will talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the main theme of Xander's dream is his sense of failure and being left behind as his friends move ahead in their life. Xander wakes up on Buffy's couch to find a bizarrely altered version of Apocalypse Now playing on the television. There is some dream crossover happening here because Willow is choking, so some of the dreams are seeped together. Yeah. After excusing himself to use the bathroom, he finds himself the object of an attempted seduction by Joyce. Uh, Are you trying to seduce me, Mrs. Summers? (laughs) Yes. Probably the most disturbing part of that is when she's talking but her mouth isn't moving. Mm. That happens again later on, yeah, in a similar scene. Uh, He goes to the bathroom but discovers a big space behind him filled with scientist types who are watching him. He leaves to find another bathroom but ends up in his basement with a monster trying to get in the door. Uh, He then... Meets Buffy, Giles and Spike in a playground where Buffy plays in a sandbox while Giles and Spike, both wearing identical tweed suits, uh, Giles tells Xander that Spike is like a son to him and he is being trained as a watcher. This this scene is actually foreshadowing for an episode in season six. You forgot to mention one thing. What? They're on swings. Oh, yes. <laughs> I thought I did mention the swings. No, you didn't mention the swings. Oh, I missed the swings. That was that was kind of weird. Yeah. They're on the swings. Looks yeah. like they're really going for it too. Yep. No, a watcher scoffs at gravity. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot to say about this scene because um, you sort of have Buffy – in the sandbox, um, very childlike. He's kind of looking down on her. Um, Buffy's the only girl in this episode that he doesn't sexualize. Um, and you feel like he's actually more protective of her mm, okay. than anything else and kind of has her in a box. But is Are they controlling these dreams though? Uh, I think it's the first layer playing on their subconscious anxieties and fears. Okay, so what you think he actually thinks about Joyce sexually? Yes, definitely. Oh. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, Xander. Um, yeah, and that scene with Giles and Spike on the swing, like it'll, it'll like there is a full episode where Giles and Spike think that they're father and son. There's also a land shark in that episode. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, and he's and uh, Spike's wearing that suit. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So it's also a really good episode. <laughs> Land shark or street shark? <laughs> oh, you don't, you don't remember street sharks? No, what are okay. street sharks? Oh, they're these toys, street oh, okay. sharks. Kind of like Ninja Turtles, but sharks. <laughs> um, after, so when Spike says that he's been trained as a watcher, Xander claims that he was into that once, but he's got other stuff going on now. And he looks over and you see the... The ice cream truck and himself. Uh, Xander warns Buffy about playing there. Um, and she says that she's okay because they're not coming for her yet and says, I'm way ahead of you, big brother. Abruptly, Xander is working in the ice cream truck, watching himself in the playground. That scene I always think is really lynchy. Lynchy, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Characters teleporting like <laughs> yes, that. Yeah. Yeah. To different places. Yeah. Um, he is with Anya and she asks him if he knows where he is going. She says she's thinking about getting back into vengeance. Um, and while they're talking, Willow and Tara dressed in unusually revealing clothes and glossy makeup, mm-hmm. I think is kind of viewing lesbians through that lens of porn. Porn? What's, oh, pornography? Um, and they make out with each other and he watches them do that in a very creepy way. <laughs> um, and then they suggest uh, he joins them. Uh, accepting, Xander walks back but ends up back in the basement alone. A growling beast of some kind tries to get in the door at the top of the stairs. Uh, Fleeing, Xander sees the cheese man. Um, Then he is suddenly at UC Sunnydale, a place he already feels excluded from. He's lit in this weirdly green lit hallway um, in the college. Yep. But there's no lockers. (laughs) They they took the lockers out. The lockers have been taken out. Giles starts to tell Xander what is going on, emphasising that he must listen carefully (laughs) because the others have gone on ahead and his life depends on what he's about to tell him. And then Giles starts speaking French. (laughs) (laughs) Anya arrives but is also speaking French. Uh, I think this is to symbolise him further exacerbating his anxiety about being left behind and his ability to understand and keep up with the idea and conversations his friends are having. Uh, A group of others grab Xander and carry him away into a reenactment of the Apocalypse Now scene. And throughout this dream there is a constant theme of Xander moving but never really getting anywhere, like... Not just the back to the basement issue that he keeps having, um, but in the scenes with the ice cream truck and in the um, in the jungle scene, there's like this really intentionally poor green screen. 
Uh, he's not really moving. He's not going anywhere. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like he's always – he's constantly moving, just this constantly trying to go somewhere but never actually going anywhere. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Snyder tells Xander, your, your time is running out, and he answers, he's just trying to get away from something he can't fight. Snyder tells him he's neither a soldier nor a comfortador, but rather a whipping boy. Xander makes a point to tell Snyder how happy <laughs> he is that he was eaten by a snake. His dream ends after several encounters with various male authority figures throughout. His father storms into the basement and displays all of the traits Xander hates about himself, transforming into the first layer and ripping out his heart, metaphorically turning Xander into his dad and removing his compassion. So that's the first time we've seen Xander's dad too. Yeah. And you kind of get the idea because he's, he's constantly also saying that's not the way out. Uh, and you, you kind of realise that he has a pretty poor home life. Xander. We, we've never seen it though, have we? No, we've never seen it, but you've, you've heard a lot of his stories and stuff. So you kind of know... His family's not great. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he is constantly like, that's not the way out. So being like his parents is not his way out. Yeah. And nice symbolism with uh, Schneider from um, Marlon Brando's Apo- Apocalypse, Apocalypse Now. now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they reenact that scene um, pretty well, actually, from yeah. the end of Apocalypse Now. All right, and... So that was dream two. Now, dream three. Dream three, Giles. Uh, So Giles' dream presents a choice, either to remain a father figure and watch her to Buffy or to begin his own life. The dream starts with Giles swinging a pocket watch in front of Buffy's face, like he's trying to hypnotise her, but she's kind of laughing at it. Hmm. Um... Perhaps her rejection of the Watchers Council. Oh, yes. Um, Just a big joke to her. Yeah, and it's also very similar to the scene where he did actually hypnotise, like if you remember back to Helpless, when he, what he did to her in Helpless, where he did hypnotise her and inject her so that she would lose her Slayer ability. Wow. I think it's a little bit of a callback to that. And how he ended up getting fired as well. Hmm. Um, his apartment is empty. So this is all, that's just the two chairs in his empty apartment, which I think is perhaps foreshadowing for him leaving Buffy eventually. Um, oh. <laughs> spoiler alert. No. <laughs> okay, Giles is then at a fairground in Restfield Cemetery with his ex-girlfriend Olivia who is pregnant and pushing a baby stroller. Uh, And Puffy is acting as if she were a young child and she has pigtails and she's back in those overalls of shame, which she also wore in Helpless. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Buffy throws a ball at a vampire carnival game and misses, then gets it after some guidance from Giles. Buffy is unable to throw a ball straight without his help and instruction, an indication of his fear that she will be unable to do her job as a slayer without his guidance. Buffy is rewarded with cotton candy 
As Giles comments that she'll get it all over her face, Buffy turns and her face is covered in mud. Quicker than the others to understand that something is wrong, Giles confronts Spike, who is posing for a photo shoot in his crypt. Walking into the crypt, uh, Olivia is sobbing over an empty pram, signifying elements of his unfulfilled life, such as marriage and children. Uh, Spike has hired himself out as a carnival sideshow. Uh, Spike is posing as a vampire. Well, that's what I read into. (laughs) He's a poser. Yeah. Uh, Spike is doing a bunch of famous poses as well. Like I think the first one, he's sort of doing grease lightning. Uh, He does the Bella Lugosi one from Plan 9 from Outer Space. No, it wasn't Bella Lugosi. It was a guy pretending to be be Bella Bella Lugosi to put his... His, his face and his elbow yeah, like that. because Bella Lugosi had died. Yeah. <laughs> they so they had, they had a stand-in. So that was the guy pretending, which has become a thing to do, to mm. walk around with your face and your elbow like that, covering half of your face. Yeah. But the original intention was to cover the stand-in actor that they had. Yeah, because they had footage of Bella Lugosi and they just were cutting it together. Just splicing it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever they had. <laughs> yes. And... If you want to know more about that, watch the film Ed Wood. That'll explain that very well. It's a good movie too. Uh, Yeah, he also does Saturday Night Fever. Um, And then he there's another one he does, but I didn't really recognise what it's from. Uh, But then he does the Jesus Christ pose. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which can mean a lot of things. (laughs) And you get this symbolism in a lot of films. Yeah. these days, uh, but Jesus. but he does die and come back, Spike. So hmm. is he Jesus? Yeah, maybe he is sort of a Christ, Christly figure. Bit of foreshadowing there. Mm. Going to um, save us all, huh? He does. He actually does save us all. Does he? Okay. Yes. So yeah, symbolic of Spike performing as being a vampire rather than truly being a vampire. You know, not that he isn't still evil, but because of his chip, he cannot act on on it. So he's basically a poser. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the cheese man is nearby wearing the slices. <laughs> After laminating that Buffy should have killed the vampire, Giles walks from the mausoleum to the bronze where he is met by Anya getting applause and laughs as a stand-up comedian and Xander... Xander and Willow are sitting on his lounge lounge room furniture in the middle of the bronze. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't seen a bronze much lately, have you? Yeah. Um, Xander has a bloody chest wound uh, and they, they both are warning Giles of their attackers or their attacker. Uh, so, again, the dreams are bleeding into each other. Um. Giles also, like I also noted in this scene, Giles views Xander almost being similar to Anya, like kind of deadpan, like where he's like, as you know, like, like over explaining the joke. Okay, yeah. Where I'll be pushing up, like I think he says, like where I'll be pushing up daisies, as in I'll be dead and fertilizing the soil. Hmm. <laughs> like that kind of, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they are busy researching in old books and they ask Giles to help them, impressing 
upon him the importance of getting the right answer or we don't stand a chance. Giles then breaks into the exposition song, performing his job as watcher, but his singing the information represents his unfulfilled longing to be a musician, something he's been exploring privately throughout the season. Um, Also, side note here, when he gets on stage, Christoph Beck, the composer, he's the one playing the piano. Yeah, you you called that out straight away. And four-star Mary are playing the... Who are Four Star Mary? So they're Dingoes Ate My Baby. Oh, are they a so, real band, yeah, are they? so they're a real band. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So they're the ones who are backing him up, so to speak. So were they the backup players in, in Dingoes Got My Baby? Apart from the other guy, maybe, or the singer? Uh, yeah, I don't think the singer was. Yeah, but the rest of the band were? Yeah. Okay. Um, as he has realised that the spell we cast with Buffy must have released some primal evil... They all have lighters. <laughs> yeah. Like I thought that was for the power ballads, wasn't it? <laughs> um, well, that was something that used to be done at concerts. Yeah. The old lighters. Yeah. No, they don't do that anymore, oh, do some they? Some people still do. No, it. no, you do it with the phone. People wave their phones. Yeah. I still see some lighters every now and again. Mm, I've, ne- I've not seen a lighter. Well, you get, it's got to be the right years. show, though, hasn't it? I guess. I suppose. Also, yeah. no one smokes anymore. <laughs> Everyone's holding up their vapes. <laughs> Phones are just easier. Yeah. yeah. It would be better to hold up a picture of a, f- of a candle waving. <laughs> Maybe, yep. All right. Uh, oh, yeah. And Giles gives Willow and Xander orders on how to deal with what hunts them. But then... The sound system breaks down and he crawls backstage following a cable. On the end of the tangled wires, Giles finds his pocket watch um, from the start of the dream. He begins to realise who his pursuer is as the girl jumps on top of him. Giles tells her that he can defeat her with his intellect, but she'd never understand as she's never had a watcher. The girl then scalps him. Giles's dream is more about his conflicted feelings about his life uh, and not about his internal anxieties and fears. Like, cause he already knows himself. He's, he's an adult. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so that is dream number three. No, dream number three. Right. So dream number four, the final dream. Is Buffy. Is Buffy's dream. Is Buffy's dream. Okay, the major theme of Buffy's dream is her fear of the personal cost of her life as a slayer and the isolation and loneliness she is forced to endure. Uh, It starts when Buffy is woken by Anya in her dorm room. Uh, this is demonstrating the distance that has grown between Buffy and Willow throughout season four. Um, and throughout this dream, Buffy has no interactions with her friends. Um, she's the slayer. She's alone. Yeah, that's so, true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she then finds herself in her room at home uh, where Tara speaks cryptically about the past and future and foreshadows the arrival of Dawn. Um, she mentions that uh, Faith and I just made that bed, almost 
Mm-hmm. Going back to the dream with um, Faith from so is, graduation is, day. Is this what Angel's parts yes. could have been, should have yep. been? Yeah. Because it seemed weird Tara interacting with her. Well, it would have been good to have Faith there as well. Like, yeah. Well, I can understand her having contractual issues because she's not part of the show anymore. Mm. But Angel. Oh, that's weird. Um, even back then, they were unknowingly preparing the bed for Dawn's arrival. Buffy says she thought Tara was there to tell her who they're making the bed for. And she was, though Buffy doesn't hang around long enough to find out. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of cryptic stuff in this, in that scene. The 7.30, 7.30, I think on the clock it says sun... Sun AM, which means another word for saying dawn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Dawn is coming. There's some, I think it's also, it was like 730 days till Buffy's, I don't know what it is. And I, there's no way of proving it. I kept finding it written everywhere. But I'm like, was there really? I need to see proof of this. <laughs> I don't fully uh, believe it. Could have. Because then, is it, are they saying is it seven hundred days in the show? So mm. if you knew what date it was in the show and the date, no, it oh, was they from literally the airing, saying it was meant to be from the airing date of graduation day, part two. Well, that's a bit sort of random, though, isn't it? That she says seven three zero and it counts down to Buffy's death. Well, that'd be actually easy to find out, wouldn't it? I don't know. <laughs> well, I just it. kept finding it written everywhere, but I'm like, I just feel like someone started that rumor, <laughs> and no one's bothered to check it. No, yeah, it's fun. It's funny how people keep uh, perpetuating, yeah, the... <laughs> perpetuating these these uh, rumors or these quote unquote facts from films. One I see a lot is that all the clocks in Pulp Fiction are at four twenty. Ah, uh, yeah, I see that one a lot, and none of them are. <laughs> none of them. Yeah, there's one I think you see at the opposite, which like it's uh twenty, you know, forty minutes. It's it's reversed. It's I can't think of what the time would be twenty past four or something. Uh, and that's about the closest you get. But people keep perpetuating that fact, that rumor, and even asking why are all the clocks at four twenty, and they're not. They're clearly not. And this may be just one of those things that it's it's kind of a little too hard to sort of prove or disprove. We'll just we'll just go along with it. You know what? We'll find out. <laughs> we'll come back to this one. We will find out was it actually 702 days from that episode to when she dies. We'll come back to that one. 730. 730, sorry. Yeah. Leave it to us. Yeah. From the date of that episode airing to the gift. Okay. All right. Yeah. That'll be easy to find out. All right. You can do that oh, then. Leave it to me. Uh, all right. Uh, Buffy is then at the university. Um, she says she's looking for her friends. She sees Xander, but he's walking away from her and up some stairs. Um, Buffy talks to her mother, who has now decided that she lives in the walls. Um, Buffy fears her new life is creating divide between her and Joyce. Uh, then as she's walking, it turns into the initiative and she sees Riley in a suit um, and he has been promoted to su- Surgeon General and is drawing up plans for world domination with Adam. 
the actual actor who played yeah, Adam. Yeah, yeah, like so who first, is in human form. Yes, yeah, the first time we've ever seen the actor. Yeah, so I think this is her suspicions of not fully trusting him and that he may not be who she thinks he is. Uh, the main thing that I notice about this scene is Riley constantly calling her killer. Yeah. He never refers to her as Buffy or anything. He says he consistently calls her killer throughout this scene. Um, and it is one of those it's, – it's like a constant internal dilemma that Buffy has is the difference between a slayer and a killer. And it's already come up of like a number of times, especially when dealing – with what happened with Faith. Um, and even Faith didn't fully understand it until she was in Buffy's body. Mm. From here on out, she's constantly trying to distinguish between being a slayer and being a killer. Um, and she does ex- start to explore what it means to be a slayer in season five. What the whole, we don't kill humans sometimes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep, exactly. The prime directive that we sometimes... Yes. Are here too, and sometimes we don't. Yeah. Okay. The three of them are interrupted by a demon attack, um, and Riley and Adam start to make a pillow fort, <laughs> which is <laughs> one of my favourite lines in the entire series. Um, this also demonstrates Buffy doesn't really take him and his work seriously and knows that he's perhaps a bit too normal for her. Mm. Uh, Buffy finds her bag of weapons at her feet. Uh, that bag comes back into the show as well. In season seven, it's... Um, I didn't notice anything particularly interesting about the bag. bag. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, but apparently it had like it was actually a Slayer's kit that um, she ends up getting returned to her, so to okay. speak. Okay, all right. Um, okay, the bag is full of mud um, and I think the mud is meant to symbolise the spell that they did which she smears on her face. And yet, and there's foreshadowing here to do with the shadow men who created the Slayer. Uh, because, yeah, in that bag, she actually finds the device that connects her to the shadow men in later seasons. Oh, okay. I didn't. What type of device was it? Uh, it's, yeah, you'll see it. Like oh, a, I, didn't I can't notice. really explain it. It's, it's not shown in this episode, oh, but okay. she's, she ends up being given like a bag that looks exactly like that, that has this device in it okay all right riley appears again in normal clothes and says i thought you were looking for your friends have it your way i guess you're on your own foreshadowing him leaving no uh she then transitions to the desert the theme of aloneness is Reiterated here by her being framed in like this wide shot in this vast empty desert and is the apex of her anxiety about being the slayer that isolates her. Uh, Here she finally confronts the first slayer who has no name, no friends, no family, no language. She is nothing but the act of destruction, stripped of all her humanity. Uh, Tara is present to speak for her. Uh, and I think this is where David Boreanaz was supposed to play her voice, so to speak. That would have made the scene a little more interesting too. Yeah. Conflict coming from him almost Yeah. in that way. Yeah. Yeah. 
Through Tara, the first Slayer tells Buffy that she cannot have friends and she must work alone, which Buffy makes the choice to reject with her defiant proclamation. Uh, She claims her individuality being a Slayer does not define her. She will adapt to the fight and whatever comes next. Her life is not simply about death and it's the balance she has that made her a great slayer. The cheese man appears and Buffy has had enough. (laughs) Uh, The slayers fight in the desert and then in Buffy's living room, she does make a few racist comments here about the first slayer's hair. Um, Did she? Yeah, she said, what's what's the impression you want to make in the workforce? It has been brought up that... Really? Oh, yeah. I didn't notice that. It's one thing that doesn't hold up in this episode. What, did, what sure. did she say? Oh, it's it's about what what are you saying in the workplace with that kind of hair? Um, Buffy realizes that she can stop the fight mentally by simply ignoring the first layer. She refuses to fight and states that she is not the source of her power and walks away from the first layer. The first layer vanishes and everybody wakes up. The dream ends in a mundane way as Buffy refuses to accept a tragic climax and insists on normality in her life. While this conflict of loneliness seems to be resolved in the dream, it will continue to be an issue um, of Buffy's for the remainder of the show. And that is the end of her her dream sequence. It is very anticlimactic and ends abruptly just as dreams do. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so what do we, where do we go from there? Well, I think that's about it really, isn't it? Uh, yeah, lots of symbolism, lots of stuff going on. Very boring. <laughs> Jared hated every minute of it. Oh, God. Um. I will explain the cheese man. He has no meaning. Like there's, I think that's the main thing that goes throughout. Yeah, you see the cheese man in every um, dream sequence. Yeah, uh, yeah, he is like Joss has said. He has no no meaning. He's meaningless. It was that was the point. <laughs> he wanted something that was completely meaningless. But it was in every dream though, so that was yep. a bit weird. So that dream that is completely through? meaningless. Okay. Um. Did you have a favourite dream sequence? Which one was probably um, your favourite? Probably the Giles one, I yeah. guess, when he was singing. Like, yeah. Yeah, I like the Giles one. Yeah. Um, Joss has stated that this episode script deviated from his usual method of writing as everything he had previously written was constructed before starting the script. The story unfolds coherently in four discrete acts, each act comprising of one character's dream. Um, oh, yeah, a lot of the scenes, like when they're going from room to room, they, it was easy to do that because that's how the sets were all set up. They're all next to each <laughs> they're other. They're all next to each other. Figured that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I think some of the stuff with, um, like, you know, when Willow... Like anything where they're looking out the window and they see a a desert, they actually just set up a fake window in the middle of the desert <laughs> to shoot those scenes. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's pretty uh pretty inventive. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and again, this was just an exercise in form writing and what it means to write. Hmm. 
So, yeah, this is one of my favourite episodes. So, are people still raving about this now or is it? I don't think they really raved about it back in the day, to be honest. Everyone kind of watched this episode and had um, your reaction because we didn't have another, what, three three seasons to go. Um, so, for all you knew, this was the last episode of Buffy Could ever. have been. Yeah. Back in those days. Mm. You didn't know if the show was being renewed or not. Mm. You only um, really found out when the I sh- think this was one of the seasons that they did know that they were getting renewed. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, which is why they did all the foreshadowy Oh, that stuff makes sense, yeah. yeah. Um, like, I like it because I like reading, getting having my own reading on things. Mm. Or, yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, is there anything – had you seen this episode? Uh, no, but I think I've seen that scene with Giles singing, though. That was very familiar. I've yep. definitely seen that. I don't know where. Somewhere. Yeah. Okay. I thought that was maybe that other sing, uh, singing episode. Is there oh. a scene like that? Does he sing that? In that? No. No. Okay. No one sings on stage in the musical episode. <laughs> <laughs> I thought – yeah, I've definitely seen that before. Remember him, remember him singing, Xander. And Willow. No. Yeah. <laughs> it might have been me watching it and you've just walked in the room. Possibly, yeah. I'd say so. Yeah. So, um, and did you go down any rabbit holes? Oh, uh, no. I think no. there's enough rabbit holes in this that you don't <laughs> want to go down. Oh, I could have gone. I went down a few. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean to. Um, all right. Well, we'll move into question time. Yeah, let's then. get into question time. the question. All right, Jared. Which character was your favourite? I guess Spike, maybe. Yeah. It's it's hard to pick one character in a yeah, character study it's... episode. Um, so I'll, uh, I just went all four Scoobies equally. Yeah. Uh, which character do you love to hate? I guess the cheese guy. Okay. I'll go first layer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, LOL moment. Oh, Harmony biting Giles is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. Um, yeah, probably this, the scene with Riley and Human Adam in the initiative where they're drawing up plans for world domination, the key element, coffee makers that think. Yeah. Um, and we've got important work here, a lot of filing, given things names. <laughs> um. And then, of course, the whole, the demons have escaped. Please run for your lives. Um, and Adam going, this could be trouble. Riley is like, we better make a fort. I'll go get some pillows. <laughs> yep, that's what happened in this episode. <laughs> I love that scene. Uh, Favourite fight scene? There actually weren't too many. No, I guess the only ones of the Buffy versus the Slayer one, I guess. Yeah, but that's, in the desert. wasn't really that great or anything. Um, I will point I, – I do like that scene, but the piece of music is really good mm. by Christoph Beck in that scene. It's, he's always good. Yeah, and he's quite distinctive. Uh, Favourite scene? Oh, uh, with uh, Giles singing, as I said before. Yeah, that's what yeah. I've got. I've got Giles singing the exposition song. All right. Least favourite scene 
Um, I guess Xander Joyce. <laughs> oh, that's what I've got. Really? I've got uh, the, the Xander and like though Joyce does look pretty hot in her yeah, outfit. She does, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a bit yuck. Mm. <laughs> the comfortador. Uh, you're a conquistador, and he's like, I'm more a conformador. Mm. Yeah. Yuck. Uh, favorite quote. I don't know if you can really quote this, like, because they're not really saying anything. That the, <laughs> the speaking words. I don't have one. I, I, I really, everything I just was written there was just either completely off topic or completely ridiculous. So I'm just not really <laughs> sure. A forever quote. I don't know. Maybe stop that harmony. That's annoying. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, str- I really struggled with that one. To be honest, some of these, some of these questions, I really struggled with this week because I'm like, I. I'm not sure who was my no character was really my favorite. No one was the least favorite. I don't know. This and then it was hard quote. because it doesn't because it doesn't follow the normal writing well, of an a, episode. Yeah, it was a really ensemble cast as well, so mm. I felt like no one really stuck out particularly. Yeah, but anyway, I've got I've got my favorite quote, and it's Buffy in the play. But what else could I expect from a bunch of low rent, no account hoodlums like you? Hoodlums, yes, I mean you and your friends, your whole sect. Throw me in the sea for all I care. Throw me in and wait for the bubbles. Men, all your groping and spitting, all growing, no brains. Three billion of you passing around the same old worn out urge. Men with your sails. Hi, honey. How are you? <laughs> yeah. <sighs> all right. Who gets the wooden spoon? This again was really hard to answer. Cheese guy. <laughs> Just with the cheese guy again, I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah. I went for Giles for not actually looking into perhaps the dire consequences of doing the joining spell. Yeah, well, it all worked out, so, mm. yeah. Well, kind of desperate. Yeah, true. Uh, who's the MVP of this episode? Buffy. Yeah. yeah. It has to be Buffy because she stops her. Hmm. Um, Okay, what do you rate this out of 10 using something from the episode? Uh, Three slices of cheese. (laughs) Three? Okay, Uh, I'm giving this 10 out of 10 bags of primordial mud. Yeah. Sorry, it's a snooze fest for me. Ah, This is like Buffy gold, this episode. Yeah, I know, just because it's full of symbolism and... And all this stuff doesn't mean it's good, but it's also entertaining. Well, uh, entertaining is a relative of sort funniest, of has some of the funniest lines in the entire series. Just because they're speaking gibberish doesn't doesn't mean it's funny. Sorry if I'm not liking it properly. Yeah, okay. you're not liking this work of <laughs> art the way that I want you to like it. Yeah. So you're, I'm going to get offended. Yeah, symbolism and stuff is all cool, <laughs> but when it's just thrown in there for the sake of it, I just, yeah, I don't know. <sighs> I'm going to say you're wrong. <laughs> you're just wrong. <laughs> oh, look, that's why we're doing this podcast. I, I think it's one of the best episodes of television ever. And you're like, it's one of the worst. <laughs> I can just sit there going, you just don't get it. You don't get it. Yeah, I don't know. I just <laughs> as I said, I, I do view this as a work of art and work, you know, art. It's subjective. It's so, subjective. So, yeah. If you don't like it, you don't like it. Um, and that's what art is about. It's about also it can provoke 
art provokes an emotion from you. And perhaps you didn't get that emotion that I got from it. No, I didn't. No. Yeah. All right, well. You idiot. I think you're the idiot. Yeah, I'm, so I'm saying I'm the idiot. <laughs> you idiot. Uh, anyway, well, it is the season fina- finale. All right, so we've got our season finale so we've got questions. Our season finale questions. Right, so. So we'll talk about the season as a whole. Yeah, okay, yeah. All right. Um, so what do you rate this season overall? Uh, so I've got to give it a number or can I yep, just... Uh, something. Uh, five, I guess. Um, I can't... I don't know. It's hard to quantify because I can't sort of... I have to look back on what the previous seasons are to say whether it's better or worse than the last Well, ones. did you find this one, this season, better than season three? I'd say so. I can't remember what I rated season <laughs> three though. So I can't... <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I can't quantify. I just threw a number five in there, I guess. Okay. Uh, but I can't remember what my standings were on the previous season, so yeah, I, yeah, I I give this an eight out of ten. Um, like it's a little, it's the season overall is a little uneven. I don't particularly like the arc hmm. of this season it's, with Adam. It seemed like there was some behind the scenes issues that sort yeah. of compromised that story a little yeah. bit, unfortunately. But there are a lot of really good one-off kind of episodes. Yeah. And I think the start of the season with all of the Buffy getting used to college Mm. (laughs) episodes, I actually really love those episodes. Yeah. Which a lot of people don't like. Mm. And and then they don't like the over-arc and so they'll rate this season very low when it comes to... What is it rated in general? Is it one of the top ones? No. No. It's normally at the bottom. Oh, really? Yeah. But like season one? No, season oh, one is okay. it. <laughs> it's not even counted. We don't even count season one. <laughs> yeah. Um, Favourite episode from this season or oh, one that stands out? Hush. Definitely Hush, yeah. Yeah, I've got a few. Like, yeah, Hush, Something Blue, Restless, This Year's Girl. They're yeah. all pretty good. Uh, What do you rate the big bad of? Well, I, inconsistent, I feel like. It It seemed like it was really compromised by the actress leaving and then Adam being the big bad. And it felt like he wasn't really there for for long. Like There's only six or seven episodes and he was only in a mm. few of those. So, really, there wasn't really much of a big bad overall. Yeah. So, you know, you had, her, had um, Professor Walsh at the start and then Adam. So, there kind of wasn't really a big bad almost, you could say. Mm. Oh, no, Adam is the big bad. Well, I mean, yeah, but it didn't seem that imposing, though. It didn't yeah. seem to be a constant threat. Like, they would mention it in passing, but it was never sort of a constant threat that you felt like they were way over their head mm. and they are never going to solve. Well, then at one point you're not sure what the big bad is actually going to be, whether it is going to be Walsh, is it just going to be the initiative? And then you find out it's this Frankenstein monster thing. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what I mean. It's a little inconsistent, so mm. I think that's probably the only downfall in this season. Is that you should start the big bad a little earlier? Well, they were building well, maybe up. Maybe not. Like you don't have to start it early. Like they didn't do that with um, the mayor. Yeah, but mm. even so, like when Walsh is also it's ten episodes. I think when Walsh mm. dies in episode twelve, I think was it or yeah. And so there's ten episodes and of Adam, and he's not in every episode. Yeah. So there's less than probably seven or six episodes of with Adam in it. Yeah. As the big bad, so it's yeah, a little underwhelming. That's my opinion. 
Yeah. Oh no, Adam's a terrible big bad. Well, he, no, he could have been a good big bad, a good big bad, but it just seemed it was too late into the series to be mm. put in, and he wasn't given much screen time. Yeah. Like a couple of times, uh, I think once he was in the episode just for the sake that he's a big bad, just narrating on what's yeah. happening. Yeah. And not really being part of it. So. Yeah. Oh, but a lot of the stuff that they were doing, like it was sort of just kind of hinted at. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, favorite character of the season. Oh, I always like Spike. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm going Spike. Um, yeah, I, I actually really love how they used him throughout this this season because yeah, they they didn't see him as much of a threat, uh, which was kind of a bit of a mistake on their part. Yeah, they underestimated him. But Again. also, but also, Spike spent pretty much an entire episode telling Adam not to underestimate her. And then Adam proceeds to underestimate her. <laughs> I think that's what is also frustrating is that Buffy was always being underestimated. Yeah. In this. Uh, and that seems so silly that, because they, they were quite aware of her abilities and her powers and then they're just dismissive, oh, you're just no good, we don't need you. You're just you. a girl. You're just a girl. Well, quite clearly she's proven that she's more than that and she can take them out and anyway, mm. down patriarchy, whatever that shit is. And. <laughs> But Walsh did realise that she was perhaps dangerous but also underestimated her. Yeah. Like everyone was just throughout this entire season <laughs> she's been underestimated. Mm. So. Because she's just a girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that is the end of season four. Sorry, Jared. Yes, Eddie. How are you travelling with liking Buffy? Have I, have I started to persuade you at all into liking this show? Well, Eddie, I'm going to tell you that it's all right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If I hadn't finished on that last episode, I probably would have had a bit more. Oh, the brilliance. Oh, my God. As like, I reckon you're going to have to watch this the whole series all over again after oh, we, after no, we watch it. <laughs> after we watch it through no. once, then you're going to have to watch it one more time and then you'll be like, oh. Oh, now I get that episode. No, I'm not. <laughs> Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Never. You're never going to watch it again? No, well, I won't have to because I'm sure you'll be watching it anyway. So I can sit mm-hmm. down and go, oh, that's that episode. Oh, that's that episode. So, yeah, I won't okay. need to. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, anything else you want to add? Not too late. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we're already a no, bit over we're time. Over, over time? <laughs> yeah. It's a long episode for a single episode as well. So, yeah, let's just wrap this up. Well, I hope you've enjoyed listening to us tonight. We are Nerd Subculture. My name is Jared. And I am Edwina. And if you want to find us on the internet, just type in our name. <laughs> you can find us on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. There is a Facebook group and you can email us at nerdsubculture at gmail.com. And if you want to help out the podcast, please follow the link tree on the socials to our merch store. Yes, share, like, subscribe. And this is the end of season four. What are we going to do next week? Maybe another movie? I think we'll do a movie next week. A movie? Do a movie. Yeah. All right. Well, till next time, take care. Bye. Bye.
so lucky. It's a big fucking spider. <laughs>